reaching from way down here. Yeah. Yeah. From way down here. Welcome to Thread, a podcast designed to explore God's story and lead you into a full life in Christ. Thank you for joining us in this conversation, co-hosted by myself, Hannah D'Souza, and Dr. David Pochter. Welcome back to Thread. Hannah, it's great to see you today. Good to see you too, Dave. We got to check in on Gilgi. How's Gilgi doing? Oh no, I was concerned that you'd ask because he's here. He's still there, yeah. alive, but a little is bit he alive? More depleted. He's alive. <laughs> he's lost some leaves. But he's still <laughs> going strong. He's alive, but he's <laughs> someone, lost some leaves. Okay. Someone on one of the YouTube videos in the comments said we should rename Gilgamesh to Harry mm. Pokta. <laughs> Oh, no, that's definitely not a good idea. I think idea. it was a spin on Harry Potter there. Yeah, well, maybe it's tying in your English roots and yes, I don't know. I think. So we'll okay. stick with Gilgamesh, but we appreciate well, so, the feedback. <laughs> yeah, it's always good to have suggestions. <laughs> so um, uh, let me set up the next two episodes here for us. We have been in the middle of this God's People Birthed series or module and we've talked about Abraham and covenant, Sarah and Hagar, Jacob twice. We talked about Jacob's life and then his wrestling match. We had a guest last time. We had uh, TJ Preci join us to talk about Joseph and Judah. Some fascinating insights on that episode. But what we're going to do to wrap this series up is we're going to do two episodes on Moses, and we're going to talk about two-thirds of Moses's life. So... I know we're going to get into how that breaks down, but today in this episode, we're going to talk about Moses in Egypt or his first part of his life. And then the next episode, we're going to talk about Moses in wilderness. And so what we decided to do is, Hannah, you're going to be leading us in this conversation, and then I'll be leading in the next conversation. Isn't that right? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> we'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah, so... We'll kick it over to you to help us navigate this Moses in Egypt piece. Yeah, so a helpful framework actually is in the book of Acts. So in the New Testament in chapter 7 with Stephen, who before he is martyred, he's the first martyr, he gives a speech to the council in which he kind of recounts the history of their people, beginning with the patriarchs, and he actually talks about Moses in quite a helpful way. He breaks down Moses' life into three 40-year periods. So he was 40, the first 40 years in the palace of Pharaoh. And then he, at 40 years old is when he murders the Egyptian, which is a really pivotal moment. And he spends 40 years in the wilderness. And then at 80 is this moment with the burning bush. And he's called by God. And so these events are all kind of significant seasons in Moses' life, but I think that's kind of helpful to break it down in those 40-year segments. Mm. And so I, I'm kind of walking through the first 40 years um, here. So as you mentioned, Dave, we left the narrative last week with Jacob and his family resettling in Egypt at this invitation of Joseph. And now the point we're at in the story, 400 years have passed since then. So the descendants of Jacob have I was looking up how many there would have been, and 
people estimate about 2 million at this point. And this new pharaoh does not have the relationship with the people as the previous pharaoh did with Joseph in Genesis. And so to him, these are simply foreigners that are increasing and now pose a threat. And so we can pick up, I guess, at this part of the narrative, if you're able to read that. So it's Exodus 1, verse 6 to 12. I will read that. Yeah, that's four, 400 years. That's a long time. Okay, mm. so we're jumping ahead quite a bit. And, and you know, it's probably important for us to say the reason why we're including these two episodes in this kind of module or section is because we're looking at the Exodus story, which will come later as a result of these two eras of Moses' life as the break to the next section. So that's why we're including Moses, even though some ways it doesn't fit with a 400-year period. But Exodus 1, <laughs> chapter, or chapter 1, verse 6. Now Joseph and all of his brothers in that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly increased in numbers and became, became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. Hmm. That phrase there, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. I felt like it had echoes of... Genesis 1 and being fruitful and multiplying and it seems like regardless of what is being thrown at these these people the promised people they can't be kept down all of the oppression that's coming at them they continue to grow in power and number and in a similar way it reminded me of Joseph continuing to prosper while in captivity and I remember thinking last week as we were going through the Joseph narrative there are lines that come up that say, and God was with Joseph, and God was with Joseph. And we're reminded that oh, mm. despite what Joseph is going through, God was with him. And it always felt to me, this feels very tempting to be like, really? Was he really with him? Because nothing about his physical circumstances seemed to indicate that the presence of God was with him. It seems very paradoxical. But I feel like that's similarly with the case with the Israelites here, being brutally oppressed and yet the presence of God is meant to be right there with them when he does hear their cry, as we'll see, and in response sends Moses and raises up Moses as a deliverer. I don't know mm. what you think of that idea. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting because when you state that it seems that God wasn't with them from the outside indications, I think that does speak a lot to how we tend to internalize, is God with me or not, or how we interpret it. So God keeps saying, I'm with you, and we tend to interpret it as, are you sure? <laughs> right? Right. Um, <laughs> I think what you just said also reminds me of what will come later with people like Gideon that say, if the Lord is with us, why have all these things happened to us when God first appears to him? It's, yeah, this idea that where are these wonders our ancestors told us about? 
and yeah, circumstances seeming very mm. different to that claim that God's there and present. So I think that's a very real point. That's right. No, that's really true. Very insightful. So I guess we can jump into this next section here of the narrative where we get the beginning of Moses' birth in Exodus 2, and it's we can start in verse 1. Sure. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and covered it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Her sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Moses' daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. So Moses is definitely an iconic figure in scripture, and he's in many ways the leader that others will be compared to throughout the Bible. But I think it's important to note here that he doesn't just arrive to the narrative as this great self-made man. And as we've just read, there's a series of kind of small heroic acts, small decisions at the beginning of his life that end up being crucial to his survival. So just prior to the part that we we read, the Bible talks about two Hebrew midwives and they're named actually. I was just looking for their names, Shipra and Pua. I think that's how you pronounce them. But they defy Pharaoh's edict and refuse to kill the Hebrew boys. And the Bible says it's because they feared God. And that's um, a small act, but ends up being crucial to the survival of many Hebrew boys because of their bravery. And God notes that in the passage. And then in the narrative that we've just read, we see his mother. She also defies the law and is incredibly brave in hiding him. And I'm sure that was a terrifying three months. (laughs) And then comes up with this plan of putting Moses in this basket. And then we see his sister, Miriam, who will come in later in Exodus as a significant figure. But she guards this basket. She watches it. She um, makes sure it arrives safely. And then she has this brilliant plan of telling Pharaoh's daughter about his own mother as being the, the wet nurse, I guess, or the woman to care for the baby. Um, and then we see as well Pharaoh's daughter. She... I'm sure she also defied her father in many ways in this decision to embrace this Hebrew baby. And I know in the episode where we looked at Hagar and Sarah, and Sarah was her name meaning princess. She was the the Hebrew princess that cast out the Egyptian slave in Hagar. And here it's kind of the reverse. And here we see the Egyptian princess take in the Hebrew slave and raise him as her own. And I think she's commended in many ways in this narrative but yeah, there's a series of these small decisions that are pivotal to, to Moses' arrival on the scene and who he will be as a leader. Mm. And actually, it reminded me of this quote. Now you have to bear with me because you guys know I love Victorian literature. <laughs> 
And there's a famous Victorian novel. I don't know if I'll recommend it because it's very long, but it's called Middle March by an author called George Eliot. And there's this wonderful quote at the end that I thought we could read because it reminds me of these series of decisions. I don't know if maybe I can read it. Or do you want to read it, Dave? <laughs> I'm happy to read it. I want to read the Victorian quote. <laughs> okay. Let me read the Victorian quote. Okay. The growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who faithfully lived a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. Hmm. So it's a kind of a somber quote, but really powerful too. I, it came to my mind actually because the dean of my college just retired and he was very celebrated for all the work he's put in at the divinity school that I'm at. But he actually read this quote in his speech because he said, you're looking at me as this figurehead of the school, but all these people that have come before me that have made like have kind of lived hidden lives, but that have paved the way for me and all the administrative staff. And he kind of went through all these people that maybe don't get the praise that he would. Mm. And I think about all these women and I love that they are named in scripture. And I think sometimes we will labor for people or the kingdom in ways that aren't seen or maybe acknowledged or praised by men, but they'll always be yeah. seen by God. Yeah. Wow. No, I, I mean, you're bringing up something so important. I think there is no such thing as any of us becoming self-made. And oh. it's, and I actually love that they're all women that are named in this story <laughs> to the role that a mother plays, even in ensuring care here that she couldn't provide herself. It's just so powerful. Mm. But the fact that there would be no Moses without these people. Right. Yeah. So I, I just, I, so obviously there were choices made and risks taken. That's one thing. And then, you know, the whole being trained and raised in a home and nurtured and taken mm. care of and educated and all of those things that happen. So one of the things that I love about this episode versus the next one is in this episode, we see all the things that were given to Moses by other human beings. And then we're going to see in the next episode, all the things that were given to Moses by God. Mm. And so I love that you brought that out. Really, really mm. neat. Yeah. And actually, another cool thing about this kind of narrative here is we see Moses' mother put him in this basket, which will be carried down the Nile. And the Hebrew word that's used for basket is actually the same word that's used for ark. And there's only two references to ark. It's Noah's ark and this basket, which is also the same word. It's an ark. So cool. Yeah, it is so cool. And I think Moses That's in so a cool. way with this connection to Noah, he's almost set up as this new Noah. He's, yeah, the parallel here seems to indicate that God was, is acting not only just to save this one baby boy or even one nation, but also to redeem the whole creation through Moses and Israel, which we saw with Noah too. Mm. Another interesting thought is that an ark, unlike a ship or a boat, it doesn't have the ability to steer or determine the way it goes, which means it's completely dependent on the elements or in this case, divine providence to get to its destination. And we see yeah, both Noah's ark and Moses' ark in this basket guided by divine providence and mark the beginning of a new phase in history 
whether it's the new beginning for creation after the flood, or here we see a new beginning for Israel after being in bondage. Oh, such a cool connection. Um, I never knew that until you shared this here in this mm. preparation. So that was a really, that's really powerful. I had thought about what would it have been like putting your baby in a basket where you mm. can have, you have no control. So I had yes. thought about the steering thing before, you know, when you put that <laughs> basket in the river and, and, you know, they're walking along the bank trying to see where the basket ends up going. I mean, that's a, <laughs> that basket could have gone a lot of different places. <laughs> so true. But I think that's what's really powerful about that arc imagery, right? That, that mm. you can see the hand of God moving that exactly where God wanted it to be. Mm. Um, that's so, so true. And the trust it took to do that. I can't even fathom. Right? <laughs> Um, but yeah, the result too. is, yeah, no, exactly. And the result of it is Moses gets picked up by Pharaoh's own daughter. And, and so he's born into oppression, but he ends up being raised in a palace and in Pharaoh's own household. Um, so we can read this part here. Now, Exodus actually, two. it jumps forward quite a bit to his adulthood. And it's, yes, Exodus 2 verse 11. Yeah, so the part of what's interesting about these stories is this very similar to Jesus. We we don't get a mm. we don't get this developed. I mean, we see a birth narrative and then we jump. Yeah. And so that's one of the fascinating things about this. And we're going to we're going to pull on that thread a little bit mm. in these two episodes, but these just kind of blank spaces. So, we read in Exodus 2 verse 11, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Mm. Yeah, so we've jumped quite a bit. He's 40 now and we have this interesting kind of verse where it says he went out to where his own people were and there's so many questions i think this brought up for me there i couldn't remember if we find the person that said this quote i'll make sure to include it in the show notes but there was someone that talked about the bible having an economy of words or there being like a lot less description than perhaps we would like and this is one of those mm -hmm. parts i'm like oh, i'd love to know when did he find out that he was Hebrew or that this were these were his own people? Did he grow up being told the story? I'm sure he looked different. I don't know how much of the story was told to him by Pharaoh's daughter. Or did he come upon it kind of dramatically? But I think it's clear that the, the Bible is less interested in these very particular details than the overarching narrative or the meta-narrative as we've been talking about, which is God's presence with his people and raising up a savior for his people. So that's why if you want a dramatic interpretation, watch The Prince of Egypt. They'll fill in some right. details in his life. Which was quoted in um, episode zero by the, or episode one, was. or one of our early episodes. Yes, yep. a single thread in a tapestry. Yes. yes. But we do see Moses have incredible compassion here for his people. Despite his upbringing of privilege, it's clear that he identified with them in many ways and enough to risk his own status mm. and comfort in intervening in this situation and trying to help. Yeah, this is something that commentators and scholars have thought about for a long time. 
right? This coming to an awareness of his identity and, mm. and allowing it to shape his inner life and bring him to a place of compassion. There was a 11th or 12th century rabbi, Rashi, who's one of history's most acclaimed Jewish theologians. And he just would add this comment about Moses in here. He says, he focused his eyes and heart to be distressed over them. So he yeah. is talking here about this deep centered compassion for his people. Hmm. Yeah, I think in, he mirrors God in many ways and with this spirit that he has, like God hears the cry of his people. And I think Moses hears this cry too. And he has this the right heart, but maybe we'd say the wrong method because he ends up maybe we'd killing. say that maybe yeah, <laughs> two of us maybe, would say maybe we'd say that yeah <laughs> yeah we're yeah. not recommending this. He kills the Egyptian, and I think here in the narrative we get this idea being introduced of him being like kind of hot tempered, <laughs> and that will be somewhat of a thorn in his side throughout kind of the narrative to come in his character. Yeah. So very true. I think we mentioned Acts 7 at the beginning, and it's interesting to see Stephen's interpretation of this event here and kind of the reasoning behind Moses doing this that he that he gives in his speech to the council. So maybe we can read that part. It's Acts 7, verse 23 to 25. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them was being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Hmm. Yeah, so we've witnessed here like Moses coming to grips with who he is versus how he was raised, being raised in the palace with this connection with his people. And I think it's really tragic here, even this explanation that Stephen gives. It's this wrestling to belong, maybe, we see in Moses. First, he's really got on Pharaoh's bad side here, and it says Pharaoh tried to kill Moses, actually, after this, which we see him flee to the desert. But even here, Stephen says that he thought his people would realize what he was doing. He thought that they'd see, okay, God's raised up a deliverer for us. He's come to rescue us. But it says they did not. They didn't see him in that way. And later on, they actually accuse him, like, who who made you a judge over us and push back at this? So there's a sense of Moses not belonging in either place, not belonging in the palace mm. or with Israel. And I think I'm sure that was a huge component in his fleeing to the desert in Midian. And this, in some ways, will be a theme for God's people in general, this idea of belonging, always so sojourning. Is that how you pronounce sojourning? <laughs> sojourning, um, yes. Sojourning, sojourning. yes. Yeah. But yeah, they are, they're always in that space. I think even the name of the book, Exodus, it's like a, a leaving out, it's a going out, mm. a looking for home and no permanent home being found. A book I read in for class this past semester was called The Theme of the Pentateuch by David Kleins. And he actually speaks about homelessness as being a theme he sees in the Pentateuch, this idea mm. of looking for home. We can. There's a commentary on, on Exodus I was looking at for this episode. Richard Foster wrote a comment here, and he says regarding kind of this idea of God's people not having a place, 
He says it's an invitation to the children of Israel to put their roots not into land or houses, but into God himself. In all their wanderings, they have the opportunity of finding their identity and their purpose in God alone. I think that's one of the lessons in Exodus that we see. It's God is their home because that's not a physical place in many ways. And I think we see that with Mm. Moses too in his wrestle to belong. Yeah, and God, we're going to see that established a lot in the wilderness, right? And one of the things we see that God's presence is in the middle of Israel in a very visible way because Mm. God is their home, as you're saying. So, well, that's even going to start playing out in this story. Uh, as we see it continue. Yeah, that's really interesting, Hannah. I appreciate how you're bringing out multiple things in this story. I think the certainly the role of all these people in his life to make him who he was. But there's something that we start seeing happen here that is going to really push us into the next episode and next conversation. And we could call it an identity crisis some call it an identity project. So if we step back and look at some of the things that this episode brings out, you could say you've got all these babies that are thrown into the river, and then you have this one baby born and gets to grow up in a palace. I mean, we, we have to start looking at some real hard realities about things we can't control in life that some of us are given opportunities that others aren't. And we don't have anything to say about that. We can respond to that. But but that's a real thing that this story brings out. Why Moses? Why in the palace? Why were all of his, you know, I guess you could say the, the other children his age lost yeah. their lives because of Pharaoh, but he didn't. And those are hard questions we have to answer in our life. Why were we placed in this context or that? Then we also look at the cultural pieces here. So Moses wasn't raised in his own cultural context. So as a Hebrew baby, he's raised in the Egyptian culture. That's becoming more and more a thing in today's world that a lot of us, and I know, and I'm sure you see this a lot in the UK. It's certainly America's history. We don't, we have this, what's the right word? We, it, I mean, a melting pot's not a fair analogy, but this kind of group of people from all kinds of different backgrounds being raised in places that they didn't, that were not their DNA heritage. And that leads to identity issues as we get older and we start processing it. What does it mean for me to be, in my case, a Jewish, Czech, Viking, we talked about in the early episode, right? My DNA heritage and being raised in the United States, what does that mean? And how do I deal with that? And how do I face that? But that's much more prevalent for people that are African-American descent, um, Hispanic descent, and all of what that means. We see some raised in poverty and some in wealth. And that's another thing that we wrestle with, right? So what this all leads to is this identity issue. Who am I? What role do I play? What does who I am matter for shaping who I should be? And we're going to see a lot of that play out in the next episode. Yeah, it's a very rich discussion. <laughs> I think I can res- that resonates with me in many ways. I think even you get those forms when you enter a new like 
institution or place where you tick your ethnicity, all the things that you are. And I remember for me, I'm mixed. I, my dad's Caribbean, my mom's English, and ticking those boxes and forms. And then I would get emails from different clubs reaching out. And one of the clubs that reached out to me because I'd ticked mixed race was Arambe, which is descendants, students that are descendants of, from the African diaspora. And I remember feeling mm. this real sense of, would I fit here? Like, I feel a connection. I love this is the community I feel like I was raised in, like my dad's side being Caribbean, but would I be accepted here? Obviously, I'm very light-skinned. <laughs> but I remember that was a kind of a little identity crisis, as you're saying, that it reminded me of that time of like, huh, this feels like my people. Will I be embraced by this people? And yeah. the irony is a year later, I'm now the vice president of Arambe. I got persuaded into it. Oh, you <laughs> by, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now was, they're your people. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love that Now they're your group. people. But yeah, I think that's, it's easy to feel that in many different ways in life. And I'm, so mm. that part of me, I resonate with Moses there. But what I love about yeah. his character is he didn't just stay in comfort. I think about the privilege he was raised in in the palace. He could have just embraced that life and not given a second thought to where he came from or his people. I think of the verse in Luke 12, it's like, to whom much is given, much will be expected. And I think he had that mindset, mm -hmm. it seems like I've been given this, so I need to use it in some way to better my people. I and mean, obviously he didn't go about it in the best way, but <laughs> he, he had that spirit and I think God was able to use that. Yeah, we're going to wrestle with that in this next episode. So we see, as you say really well, he doesn't belong in the palace and he doesn't belong with Israel at this point. And he's got to go do some self-work. Um, mm. He's got to go into the wilderness and spend some time really figuring out who he is and what that's going to call him to. And I think he finds his footing there and, and you'll see over that process, all the things he learned as an Egyptian, the nurturing he received and that upbringing, you're going to see him connect with his identity as a Hebrew and all of what that means. And God uses all of that to shape him into being the leader that he becomes. And I think that's part of the process, the identity project for each of us is, is learning what these disparate, sometimes appearing disparate or these segmented pieces that don't all make sense. It's finding ways of what does that say about me and what God wants to do with that and how mm -hmm. he's going to use that. That is part of the project of what yeah. God does in helping us. So we're going to unpack that a lot more in the next episode. When so. it comes to like our, I know we're talking about spirituality and our lived spirituality, how do you see kind of our identities playing into our spirituality or what should that, that look like? Yeah, it, it's absolutely. I mean, again, if we go back to spirituality being the lived experience, how we engage the world, we recognize that these things contribute to our experience. They contribute to who we become. They, it, they contribute to our sense of identity. And that plays in, in all kinds of different ways, from the foods we eat, the way we celebrate holidays, the way we you know, engage our family lives, to even things about the gifts and the talents that we were given and the way we were raised and what that means. So all of those things play out. I mean, you, you can grow up in a home that highly values education and that shapes you, or you can grow up in a home that highly values a strong work ethic and that shapes you. So some of those things we pick up from DNA 
Some we pick up from culture. Some we pick up from giftedness. Some we pick up from nurturing. You know, there's always that question, nature or nurture. Is it how you were raised or is it what you were made to be in the womb? And both play out here. Mm. And so those all feed our spirituality. And that's exactly what we're going to start seeing with Moses. So when we step into the second phase of Moses's life, we're going to start seeing God shape those things. Now, in the contemporary world, we call it ego, the development of ego. <clears throat> you could kind of equate ego to personality, who we are, our identity. Hmm. God, or we form ego in our young life, but we form it a lot through building the container, developing habits, constructing ways of living. But then as we move into midlife and later, we start pushing on those things and saying, well, I'm not just what I practice. Who am I really? Hmm. And we're going to start seeing that play out in midlife and beyond. And so it absolutely shapes our spirituality. Hmm. So good question to cue us up for the next episode, Hannah. Well nice. done. Thank you for leading <laughs> this conversation today. Of course. Um, so this is Moses in Egypt, and everyone's going to have to tune in next week for Moses in the Wilderness. Okay. We'll see you then. We'll see if Gilgamesh is any healthier next week. I, well, I don't know. Well, yeah. If anyone has tips for bonsai trees, let me know. Okay. <laughs> send, send your tips for bonsai yeah, trees do. in the YouTube. In the comments. Uh, comments on the bottom. All right. We'll see you next week, Hannah. See Thanks. You. Bye. Thank you for joining this Thread Conversation. We're more than a podcast. Check out threadpodcast.org for more immersive content. Though I'm on here, I get a better view of this bound.